stargazers, welcome to 7th House Astrology, where I take a topic that is either astrological or a topic related to romance or relationships. I investigate it under the lens of Sinistry Astrology, otherwise known as Love or Relationship Astrology. I am your host, Sandra Misek, and I'm so glad that you guys have joined me for today. So this week actually is our finale when it comes down to the attachment styles. We are going to be covering the secure attachment type and also doing a deep dive as well. Definitely stay tuned for next week, though, Stargazers, because for all you Pisceans out there, I have not forgotten about you. Um, we will be doing Pisces season and what to expect when it comes to relationships. So more good things to come on the way. But uh, for this week's episode, when it comes to the secure attachment style, so with this particular attachment style, when I approached it astrologically wise, the first question that I had, of course, was, okay, so if someone's secure, does this mean that they're kind of born with it, or they have a proclivity in their charts towards security, or, you know, what's what's kind of making the security in the relationship. And I think I also had addressed this with the very first episode when it came to security, where, you know, I kind of addressed where the misgivings, where it kind of seems like, okay, this person's like born perfect, and maybe they have a perfect chart. And, and actually, the answer is no, um, the person that actually, it's far from the truth. Everyone in astrology, no matter the chart and the placement, everybody has hurdles that they need to overcome when it comes to their chart. And everybody has something that they need to learn. One thing that I feel that separates those who are secure from those who may have just like found their first have found their attachment style or attachment theory and who are just diving into it is that a lot of secure individuals usually have recognized those hurdles um, in their chart or they've recognized their those hurdles in their life and also in their relationships as well. And they're more um, prone I don't want to say they're more prone than the rest of us, but um, they're actually actively working on the things that hang them up in relationships so that they're either not too needy nor not too avoidant. You know, either they're not, you know, being too clingy um, with their partners, nor are they pushing their partners away. You know, they have a, a certain amount of independence to where they can feel very secure inside themselves, as well as in the company of their partner. But also they can have those noble goals as well, too, without the noble goals turning into clean. Now, before I get into the deep dive, a couple of examples that I thought of when it came to the attach, secure attachment style was that, um, you know, a couple of celebrities that I kind of found as, as examples were usually someone like Kristen Bell, uh, Mila Kunis, Ashton Kutcher. Also, um, believe it or not, I think I'd mentioned this last week uh, with the anxious avoidant deep dive with Sting. Um, I believe that Sting and Trudy Styles also have a very secure relationship as well. Now, what makes this happen is that, again, a lot, especially like what we discovered with uh, Sting and Trudy Styles, was that um, they actually actively work in the relationship every day. You know, Sting is not necessarily absolutely secure. As, as I established last, last week, he is anxious avoidant. You know, he has anxious moments. He has avoidance moments. And Trudy Styler, I believe, is actually avoidant with what I can see in her chart. But, you know, despite the fact that these are two individuals that might be on the more insecure spectrum, they work with those insecurities. They work with what's troubling them and they work uh, with each other to kind of come to great outcomes in the, the relationship and um, a good, solid, secure outcome in the relationship. And I, and I feel like that's what secure actually truly means in my view. Um, like with Ashton Kutcher and Mila Kunis as well, they um, find humor you know, I think also familiarity. They both worked on that 70s show together um, back in the day, like back in the early 2000s. 
And uh, it actually is like the late 90s, early 2000s, but they're very familiar with each other. They use a lot of humor to diffuse a lot of tense situations. They also don't take themselves too seriously. Um, and this is just from observations of what I've seen from outside, not actually taking a look at their astrological charts. But also taking a look at the surface level, he's Aries, she's Leo. So they have a very trined relationship with the sun signs alone. But I think also, you know, they, they diffuse a lot of tensions through humor. But also I think they discover their insecurities and also resolve the insecurities in the relationship through humor and um, really just take that time to really resolve things as they come up and not, you know, hide things from one another or not, you know, um, you know, kind of hold things or, you know, um, hold resentments over each other's heads as well. And then of course, Kristen Bell and her significant other as well too, they have a very secure relationship in the regard that, I mean, they're very, they are very open with communication they talk things out. I've also seen that they use humor, you know, like really uh, very cute uh, sense of humor um, in order to diffuse um, potential, you know, tensions in the relationship, but also to help um, really kind of mend those things that might get in the way of their relationship or those things that really aren't working so well when it comes to their relationship. But for this deep dive this week, Stargazers, I actually chose somebody who also epitomized that you don't have to necessarily be in a relationship necessarily in order to be secure. This person has been in a relationship. She's been in a marriage since the early, I think I remembered it was, you know, from the 80s to the 90s. Of course, I was kind of a wee little girl at that time, so I don't remember every detail about her marriage. But um, she is definitely an individual who I feel can epitomize being secure. Um, you know, like, like I said, not having to have a relationship in order to be secure. You can be a secure individual and still be single. And that person is actually Oprah Winfrey for this week. Um, and I just, I feel like with Oprah Winfrey, um, there's a lot of things in her chart that I've discovered where, you know, um, she actively learns every single day. And she has actively learned ever since uh, the Oprah Winfrey show first premiered on air in the 80s as well, too. I mean, she not only wanted to actively help others, but in the process, she was always actively transforming and actively, you know, re, I don't want to say reinventing herself, but actively transforming herself in the process as well. So with Oprah Winfrey, looking at her chart, so again, Stargazers, I know a little bit about Oprah. I love her. I love Oprah. Um, and, you know, above all, even though I love Oprah, I love the advice that she gives in O Magazine. I always have. Um, I've also loved the Oprah Winfrey Network. I helped, I feel like that helps me to really become far more informed about relationships. I mean, it's, you know, even though I may not be black myself, um, it helps to inform me about relationships as a woman. It also helps me to just become more informed about the, about black culture and also about others who might be of different backgrounds and different cultures. I really like that. Uh, I just, I really like hearing different perspectives, different points of view, um, different points of view that are uh, uh, differing from my own in order to gain more of a, a more of a worldview and more of a knowledge to expand my worldview and to expand my knowledge. And I feel like Oprah really helps with that as well. But, you know, even though I love Oprah, I love what she does. I love everything that she has accomplished in this world. I also um, am not so familiar with her life. As I said, when she was married to Stedman Williams, way, 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 way back in the day, like I said, I was a, I was a little girl and I just, I remembered all the ridiculously garish and really insulting, um, you know, paparazzi sort of photos and, you know, stories that happened between, that were, you know, kind of being construed against her. That really, I just really did not know much about their relationship as well. 
which I thought was also perfect because that puts a blind and that helps me to focus more on Oprah's chart as well as her sinistry chart with Stedman as well too to kind of take a look astrologically strictly so as to which sort of lessons did she learn to become more secure um, and you know to actually become not only far more secure in a relation in the relationship that she had with Stedman Williams but also maybe to do away with the relationship since she eventually did divorce Stedman Williams they both ended up facing a divorce and you know how she ended up being in a secure relationship with herself. And I think that that's actually very inspiring. Um, when we talk about relationships, you know, how to be in a good relationship with yourself, but anyway, to to actually dive right into it. So with Oprah's chart, uh, first thing that I've noticed is that she is a, your son's an Aquarius but her moon is in 11th house Sagittarius. So if we're going to take attachment theory again into astrology, and if in astrology attachment is related to the position of our moon, um, as well as, you know, our Juno placement, um, any sort of planets surrounding around Juno, as well as Ceres placement, Starting off with the moon with Oprah, really um, with Sagittarius, she felt very comfortable when really, I would say uh, with Oprah and especially with the um, the Aquarius sun in there with the Sagittarius moon, I would say she's more of that Sagittarian who, or more of the Sagittarius moon where ideas and open-mindedness is really what makes her feel very comfortable. And I know with Sagittarius, it can vary. Um, I know of two little kittens who also have a moon in Sagittarius. Um, and I know uh, one of my, my, my cats actually expresses the more adventurous side of Sagittarius. Uh, she feels very comfortable when she follows me on walks. Um, sometimes it gets to be a little bit of a problem because uh, where I walk can become dangerous. It's like she kind of transgresses the neighborhood and tries to go into the busier side of the neighborhood. And um, it's hard to kind of corral her back to home because, well, like I said, she just she likes to join you on adventures. But I feel like those who are... Um, have Sagittarian moons can either lean towards the more physically adventurous uh, type where they feel more secure being in physical adventures or physical, different physical locations as well. Um, and learning uh, from the different cultures that they're exposed to in the environments. But I think with Oprah, she embodies the other side of Sagittarius, which is the more intellectual. And I find that this, you know, in childhood, she was probably far more inclined to really consider differing viewpoints in her family and really to ask like her brothers and sisters, like say she reads a book that's really, um, that really reverberates with her or say that she has discovered a particular, she's heard a particular theory or she's heard a particular opinion and she's more inclined and she was probably far more inclined to ask her brothers and sisters. It's like, hey, when it comes to this particular theory, what do you think about it? Or when it comes to this political theory that mom and dad have been espousing, how do you feel about that? Or, or I found this in, in this book and it's really intriguing. How do you feel about this? What, what are your opinions about this? And, um, you know, in a way, I kind of feel like she really united her family in this regard, because again, with Sagittarius, a moon in Sagittarius, there was a lot of an open mindedness. Actually, Sagittarians love open mindedness and uh, being able to be invited to have an open mindedness and an open worldview when it comes to different theories and when it comes to just learning, period, that there's no right or wrong way of looking at something or right or wrong way to learn something that there's a myriad of different ways as well. Uh, with the fact that her son and her moon are actually sextiled each other and are in an easy position, I would say that actually her relationship with both parents 
were very easygoing and also um, very equal. You know, she didn't get along with one parent more than the other. They're pretty on equal status. And with uh, her father, especially, you know, with the fact that her son is also closely associated with Venus, I think actually it's, it is conjunct Venus in her second house. I'd say that her relationship with her father, her father was, you know, was very easygoing, is very amicable. It was very, um, a good relationship. And probably with her father, um, he probably noticed with young Oprah that she was more inclined to asking. It's like, Hey, what do you, or it's like, Hey, so-and-so, what do you think about this? Hey, so-and-so, what do you think about this? Or I read this great book. What do you think about this book? He might have pulled her to the side and it said, you know, develop your own theories, develop your own worldviews, you know, see what you feel, see what you think. It's like, it's great that you're including everybody else. And with young Oprah, she probably included both her parents and, and their viewpoints. But, you know, I, I think he probably pointed out to her, it's like, well, it's great that, you know, you're asking everyone else's opinion, that you're learning from everybody else. Try also, you know, seeing how you feel and what you see. And maybe also, you know, elaborates like, I see this, however, what do you see? And really kind of get more of a, of an interaction or kind of get more of, yeah, an interaction between people. With the moon also being in the 11th house with Oprah, she was also far more secure with relationships that included her friends and her family, you know, basically close friends, close family and establishing close friends and close family. In fact, actually having friends was very important to her. Having a community is very important to her. Um, she feels actually very secure around other people and uh, really feels secure being in that community, so to speak. Um, if she's without, if she's, you know, kind of feeling isolated or she has felt isolated, that would make her feel very insecure as well. If for whatever reason with Oprah, and I don't see this in her chart where she had any sort of a situation where her nurturing was stabbed off in any shape, way, shape, or form. You know, unlike with the other charts with anxious or avoidant or anxious avoidant, where there was always something that kind of came in the way with the moon's relationship. With Oprah, her moon's relationship um, is pretty clear and pretty free. Um, I would say the only thing is if she felt like her needs were not met, many Sagittarius moon or people who have Sagittarian moons tend to, um, become kind of detached and almost kind of preoccupied as well too. being in the fire uh, triad. They, um, start to become rather inundated with new ideas with creativity, um, or a lot of times with uh, fi the fire triad, um, the fire signs, they tend to, you know, get um, preoccupied with creativity, matters of the soul, matters of spirit. And I think with Sagittarius becoming preoccupied with learning new theories and also just kind of maybe, you know, very much like Virgo and uh, with a, a moon in Virgo, or even like a moon in Aquarius where they kind of shut people out a little bit. Um, you know, they're, they're kind of far more aloof when they're not getting their needs met. They're kind of too busy uh, for those caregivers or they're just too busy for those individuals who might be trying to repair the relationship or who are just not giving that love or that support that Oprah, young Oprah had needed as well. But I think overall, uh, when it came to relationships in general, um, with that Sagittarian moon, I think a really having a relationship where more than one person is included in the relationship. And I'm not talking about swinging or anything of that nature. That's a different ball of wax right there. What I'm talking about is more of having a relationship where the significant other doesn't get jealous of the fact that you know, people, other people and other viewpoints are being considered um, on a daily basis. And also someone who can accept the fact that this is somebody, especially with um, the moon being in the 11th house, you know, having a partner that could accept that Oprah 
also likes being in a community and likes being active in a community as well and not getting jealous or not becoming despairing over the fact that, you know, she might be spending some time away from the relationship as well. You know, to have someone who understands that's very important to her. And then I also just think in relationships, having someone or being with somebody who has an open mind, um, who also has an expansive mind and who also provides a lot of great insights into life, I think is also very attractive to her as well. And actually, I would say even more like extra points, if that person is actually a part of her friendship group or part of her community and not afraid to be in that role, that also is something that helps Oprah to feel very loved and also very secure as well. So before you guys begin to think that Oprah's chart is really very perfect and there's not a lot of issues going on here, um, I do have to point out, again, there are, like I said, there's the aspect with Juno. So with Juno, when it comes to Oprah, it is placed in Leo. And those who have a Juno placement in Leo usually, so again, if Juno is our values, um, especially when we are considering marriage, um, but you know, even when we're, when we're married or when we're not married, we still have values. Um, I find that Juno's values in Leo are basically that of being of a leader, uh, taking a leadership role. And um, sometimes I feel like what's missed usually with Juno in Leo, um, you know, most of the time too, a lot of individuals who have Juno in Leo, they like to be center of attention. If they're going to be in a relationship, they like to be center stage, they like to be the boss, they like to lead the relationship as well. But I also feel that um, when more evolved, the leadership of the relationship is more inclined towards a heart-centered leadership as well. It's not a relationship where it's just follow my rules or else. Um, it should be more of a relationship where it's taking into consideration the feelings and attitudes of other people and coming to that, like leading the relationship from a place of respect. Now, um, one thing that kind of struck me with uh, Oprah's Juno placement was that it is conjunct Pluto in Leo, and that's in her ninth house. What I do see, and then on top of that, it was also squared Mars in her 11th house. Um, even though Mars is not near, it's not conjunct or anywhere near her moon sign, it still kind of sits in her 11th house. So what I see in this interaction is that there have been times, both in Oprah's past and her childhood, as well as in adulthood, where she has impulsively made very quick connections with people, especially, you know, so with um, Mars in the 11th house, I see a lot of quick impulses, like diving into a friendship headfirst. Um, now with the squared um, Pluto, as well as Juno, what I see is that she also values and she loves powerful people and loves being around powerful people. She also respects powerful people being a very powerful person herself. However, one thing that I could see being a possible potential pitfall in this situation is that Pluto usually is also planet of disguises as well as of power, can also be a planet of deception. And I feel like in some cases with Oprah, she may have dived in, you know, dove into a relationship headfirst and not really seeing who this person that she was befriending really was. Um, you know, there might have been some friendships in childhood where somebody had kind of like an imposter syndrome. They were pretending to be something um, that really kind of met her values as a young child that they really weren't. And unfortunately, she didn't quite find that out until she was already in the relationship. And I kind of feel like with this in interaction, especially with Mars squared Pluto, 
there are, um, you know, with Mars squared Pluto, I, I see accidents happen, uh, happening. I would say that in the case of Oprah, really more on the lines of friendships. But I find too, um, by the time that it's found out, it's really a heartbreak or it's really a, a heartbreaking sort of situation for Oprah. Um, really, you know, to find somebody who was deceptive, that was very disenchanting, that was very, you know, it kind of weighed her down. And like I said, I don't think this was just in childhood um, that she found this. I feel like in adulthood, she might have met a couple of people who they, they posed as being very philanthropic or very like a great person or a great role model in one way, shape or form later only to find out that this person might've been a charlatan. Um, unfortunately, they might've been playing that part just to kind of line their pockets. And um, I, what I do see with Oprah is that if that is discovered, it's a quick separation of that relationship. Um, it's not, it's, it's not like she continues the relationship onward. Um, however, I feel like one of the biggest lessons that she had to learn in order to become on the road towards security was how to really discern people a little bit better and not just dive into a relationship head first. I feel um, in discerning people, there was a little bit of boundary work with Oprah, uh, especially with that, with Mars being in the 11th house, kind of backing away from the relationship, you know, kind of, you know, sensing in her mind, it's like, hey, this person seems ideal. This person seems like a, he or she is a good person, but let me just back away for just a minute and actually see who this person actually is. Let me see what they're all about. Let me, let me actually hear what they actually feel. And knowing the Aquarian sun and Sagittarius moon, she would have a great way of using like lighthearted logic and also lighthearted observation and also just like lighthearted questions to kind of root out um, who this particular individual is and kind of root it out rather quickly. But I find, um, you know, mild boundary work such as pulling back a little bit and seeing who this person really is before establishing a friendship, I think was really big for her. Also with Pluto conjunct her um, Juno position, as much as she is uh, profoundly attracted to powerful people, and I mean, I think that that's actually a great strength. Many people um, cannot, are very intimidated by powerful people. They're usually just the opposite. Um, I think it's a strength to be actually attracted to powerful people and to learn from powerful people as well. But I feel uh, with the Juno placement uh, close to her Pluto placement, you know, being attracted to powerful people, but again, with caution, you know, take with caution. Also take it as kind of like what I reiterated earlier, um, how, what to learn from this powerful person. What are some nuggets of wisdom from this powerful person that I could take with me and that I could take to transform as well. But I felt like really more than anything, this transformation comes from really kind of dissolving any sort of deceit or falsehoods and really kind of getting to the bottom of that person as well. She also may have attracted some very controlling people in her life as well. And with that, again, what she had to learn was how to evolve away from the control, how to also discern who this person really was, and also um, how to really discern her power and her strength. Because I feel like with this position, she has a lot of it as well. She, she can be a very powerful person herself, very capable of leading, um, you know, taking a leadership role and leading uh, a relationship big time. And then um, also, you know, having just also in general, just being a very influential figure as well, too. Um, and again, used correctly, which I feel that Oprah does. Um, I feel like she's actually far more in the transformative state of Pluto, where she's using her power in a more constructive way, as opposed to 
someone like Elon Musk, where he uses it more in a destructive way, you know, where he's using that Pluto placement in order to control and dominate other people. I feel with Oprah, it's like, how can I use my influence to empower other people, but also furthermore, how to empower myself as well too. And I felt like, or I just feel um, with this interaction, this has kind of led her to become the influential figure that she is to the state and also to become more secure. I do want to correct something um, here. I accidentally looked at um, the sinistry chart of Stedman and his Pluto placement. It is actually uh, Pluto in the eighth house in Leo, uh, which is with Oprah. And um, also, you know, Juno and uh, Pluto are in that position in her chart. So I just thought I'd clarify that as well, too. I would also say um, transformation also occurs for Oprah with a very deep radical sense of change and transformation. That's very important for her as well. So I think that's, that was also something else to add and something else that also, um, I think it's, that's a trait that's very beneficial for her to move beyond an insecurity, something that could make her very anxious or very, actually I would say deception, especially deceptive people. Um, that could really cause for avoidance issues if um, it's not carefully checked or if it's not really dealt with. And I really think that with Oprah, she transformed what could have been avoidance issues and pulling people away from her to actually, okay, let me tweak how I'm interacting and therefore move forward with that. Um, but otherwise, as I've said, um, just all in all with her chart, pretty easygoing, um, and also pretty, like, it seems like a lot of fixes that are pretty easy to resolve when it comes to security as well, but things that have to be actively, re um, actively resolved a lot of the time or actively acted on. So with that said, I also thought I would take a look at her relationship, you know, Oprah's relationship and her uh, sinistry chart with Stedman Williams um, to see what else she might have learned from her relationship with Stedman um, to kind of further her um, security um, in herself. One thing that I found with Stedman Williams is that his sun moon, and moon sign, and as well as his Jupiter and his Mercury uh, positions, are all in Pisces. So a lot of a lot of planets in Pisces, uh, big time. But one thing that I've seen, um, so between her um, her moon, oh, sorry, not her moon, but her sun being in Aquarius. You know, her Sun, Venus, and Mercury positions being in Aquarius, and Stedman's, you know, Sun and Moon being in, um, you know, Pisces. I'd seen this when I was growing up um, with between Aquarians and Pisceans. So um, I, sometimes I find that there is an easy, at first there's an easy interaction between the two signs, because with Aquarius, they're the water bearers. So it, it, to me, it just seemed like it was just very natural. And I, I discovered this um, sort of intuition when I was 15, but water bearers give water and provide the water for the fish in Pisces to thrive. So sometimes I find that um, to start off with, with Pisces and Aquarius, they tend to have a very easy relationship at first with that, the water bearer giving water to the Piscean or to the, the, the fish of Pisces. The fish of Pisces also really appreciating that in turn. And you kind of think that with this sort of relationship, they would, you know, kind of both maybe get along, even though they're an unlikely pairing. However, with Aquarius, uh, when they do feel like um, there's somebody who's just kind of taking from them a lot of the time, they tend to move on uh, very logically. So I kind of feel like with the water bird, they're not just always kindly giving water to the fish of Pisces. Most of the time it's like, okay, yeah, I've given you enough water. It's time to move on to the next project or time to move on to the next scene. And I kind of feel like with, um, with Pisces. So with Stedman, um, I kind of felt like he was very, yes, he was very deep. He was very emotional. Um, being in Pisces also very spiritually inclined. 
Uh, Pisceans are also known to have one foot in the spirit world, one foot in this world. So they're kind of in between, literally walking in between both worlds. And they're not afraid to explore topics in complete depth, like almost to where it's like they're inundated with the topic in and of itself. But I think with Stedman more than anything, um, there was a situation, what I see here that there was a situation of wanting a lot of compassion, wanting a lot of time from Oprah. And as I'd mentioned earlier with the, the sun and the moon's positions, both entwined here. Um, Oprah is somebody who likes to be part of a community, who likes other people to be a part of the dialogue. Um, to have that might have been, might have caused some friction um, with Stedman continually kind of demanding some time from Oprah, maybe continuing to demand some emotional, you know, neat, you know kind of emotional repletion, so to speak. Um, I know with a lot of water signs, um, they usually demand, it's like they usually, you know, from, they usually kind of demand that uh, they kind of give something in order to demand it in return. Like with cancer, they are very nurturing in order to be nurtured in return. With Scorpio, they give loyalty in order to have loyalty in return. I find with Pisces, they give a lot of compassion and a lot of love in order to expect undevoted, unwavering compassion and love in return. And, you know, in that interaction, that process, for a lot of air types, it can seem a bit smothering. And I could see that with Oprah as well, too, where it was just kind of like, it, it just seemed a bit cloying. It seemed a bit smothering. Um, I think one of the lessons in this interaction was that, again, um, people are not as what they seem. You know, it's like with Stedman, I think what may have attracted her in the first place was that he was very deep. He was not afraid to tap into his emotions. That was very appealing and very sexy for her. But by the same token, um, you know, not really, again, what's what might seem very sexy at first glance, there's always an underlying characteristic. And I find that underlying characteristic is if somebody's really deep and in touch with their emotions, sometimes they get a little possessive or cloying or smothering in turn, and they might need a lot of repletion from the other person in turn, especially if this individual, like especially if Stedman Williams should have acted on the unevolved or the lesser evolved side of Pisces. Sometimes with Pisces, they start to feel lonely, depressed, withdrawn if they don't feel like they're getting that love and compassion back. The higher evolved part of that sign is, you know, they can, they can kind of give that compassion and feel compassionate enough to themselves to be on a, a great page with both themselves as well as with the world as well too. But it takes a lot of, um, you know, a lot of self-work, um, particularly with the emotions and with, um, you know, how to fill your love tank without having somebody around all the time. But I feel like with Oprah, um, you know, kind of seeing the fine line in relationships was another lesson that she had learned in order to become more secure. But I think also finding that fine balance, I think that she was happy to replete Stedman a couple of times when it came to his emotional needs. But by the same token, also establishing, again, establishing boundaries as to saying, nope, that's enough. I really have to take care of my needs or my world as well, too. So, you know, having a balance of a kind of a, a balance of um, a give and take in the relationship, really, I think is really what helped her to become far more secure and finding that balance, really finding, you know, OK, I've given enough to you. I need to give enough to me. And, you know, kind of, you know, kind of playing and balancing that sort of dynamic um, all the way around. What I also found interesting was that with Stedman, um, he has not only his sun, moon, uh, Jupiter, as well as Mercury positions in Pisces, but it's also squared Oprah's, uh, so her Jupiter position. 
I find this to be a mild square. Um, I don't find this to be really devastating as with a malefic planet, but one thing that I do see um, kind of similar to Sting, a lot of um, with Sting, again, with that opposition, a lot of foot, on, you know, the foot on the, the gas pedal, but not a lot on the brake, a lot of things that are speeding up in the relationship. I also see that there's a lot of expansiveness between the two individuals. You know, uh, probably Stedman found that Oprah was a, a breath of fresh air. She had a lot of great, um, very expansive worldviews and ideas, especially um, in regards to philanthropic causes, as well as uh, co-workers, as well as health. And he really admired that um, big time. However, I think the biggest thing is, a little bit of excess on both ends, especially with the two Jupiter placements being squared, you know, a little excess in, you know, might have, you know, like with Stedman might have felt a little, Oprah was a little excessive or a little too involved with philanthropic causes, or, you know, Oprah found that Stedman could have been a little too obsessive with himself or a little too um, indulgent, so to speak, with his own inner worlds and with his needs. And I just feel like the biggest relationship or the, the biggest lesson here is moderation, you know, how to do things in moderation. And I think with Oprah and her relationship with Stedman, how to moderate um, her interaction and her involvement philanthropically while also still being involved in the relationship with Stedman or still being invested in the relationship with Stedman, but not having you know, not indulging, like kind of not get, like not, not kind of giving instant gratification to him when it came to his emotional needs, kind of working with him and kind of working with somebody to develop healthy emotional boundaries and healthy emotional needs between one another. Now with Stedman, I mean, not everything was entirely bad. There were a lot of easy transits in this relationship, all of which I think also brought a lot of great lessons, um, such as, you know, Stedman's Mars sign being trined that of Oprah's moon sign as well, too. So a lot of dynamism, um, a lot of dynamic interplay between the two. Um, there might have been some times with Stedman where he might have given Oprah some great ideas of how to connect with different uh, viewpoints, different worldviews, different theories, and also with different communities um, that Oprah thought were good ideas and they kind of played off of each other on that one. Or there might have been times too where Oprah may have given Stedman a couple of great ideas of what to do um, with the relationship as well too. So a good interplay there. I feel like with all the great relationships or the easy um, aspects in the relationships, these were also great points where Oprah could expand her awareness and become far more secure. Um, I think just another interaction too that I found was interesting was Saturn was also trined Uranus. So um, again, with Sedman's, you know, uh, political points of view or so, uh, or his, his just overall his points of view, they didn't really clash with her viewpoints of maintaining a very steady and stable relationship and also in establishing the brass tacks of the relationship in a way they're able to, again, find ways to make two opposites work out. And I think that was, um, I think really that was one thing that Oprah also took with her um, and be, you know, even though Stedman Williams and Oprah Winfrey, both their, their marriage did dissolve um, after some time. Um, really, I think that there were some things from the easy aspects in the relationship were things that Oprah took with her. And I think a lot of it has to do with, um, again, what I mentioned earlier, that balance between your own boundaries and also taking care and being there for somebody else as well, too. I think also for both partners, respecting each other's careers, respecting each other's lines of work as well, and um, really finding a, a balance with that as well, you know, how to, you know, be there for your partner, but also respect their career as well, or how to, you know, get some love from your partner, get, a, get a, you know, some affection from your partner, but also be there for their career and be very supportive for their career as well.
So um, all the way around, I think with Oprah, um, definitely a lot of great lessons learned, both in relationships as well as within attachment style. Um, I feel like, you know, again, these are things that she continually works with even to this day. And that's why I feel like she's on stable ground. Even though she's kind of stable or that she's secure um, when it comes to relationships, again, it's always a work in progress. Kind of like with Sting and Trudy Styler, where they're continually um, communicating all the time. They're continually working on what might be um, a, of an issue or conflict. Oprah is always, it's always a work in progress. There's always work to be done. Um, there's not a, such a thing as, oh, I've resolved these issues, so therefore I'm secure and that's that. No, it's, it's always, um, these are things that are always a continual work in progress um, that kind of are like lifelong uh, lessons as well. The last thing that I did want to note was that Oprah, um, when it comes to her series position being that in Libra, so Ceres and Libra, you know, so Ceres is supposed to be the mother, um, where how we mother ourselves when we feel like our moms or our dads did not provide a lot of security um, otherwise um, within our moon signs. But I feel that um, with the moon and Libra, a lot of um, the security comes from really, again, um, a sense of fairness, a sense of balance. I think, you know, with Oprah, you know, again, that sense of balance. So I think, again, balancing, you know, different needs in the relationship with Stedman and also balancing different needs for her own relationship with herself and also with her, you know, just her own needs as well, too. I felt like um, that series placement was activated a little bit. But to heighten the moon in Sagittarius, where, I mean, she's taking theories and worldviews from other people. She'd like to hear opinions from other people very often, and she always has loved to do that. I feel like Ceres and Libra could also help and aid with that in the regard of maybe balancing, again, getting that balance of um, maybe also not you know, also taking your own opinion or getting your own opinion. Um, in matters as well, too. I also think with series two, um, having some sense of inner justice as well, too, inside yourself is another way in which Oprah could find a way to comfort herself and be more secure. Um, I think ways in, you know, finding justice is really making sure that all viewpoints from her moon sign, um, all different interactions from different people are all brought into a sense of balance, but also everybody's well represented. Everybody's well, you know, everybody, everybody's opinions are all kind of shared. They all matter and that they're all expressed very um, matter of factly, very fairly, and also to the best of that person's ability as well too. Um, I, I think I remembered like with the Oprah Winfrey show way, way back in the day when this was actually taboo. I think she was one of the first talk show hosts to actually have a lesbian, a gay and lesbian couple um, on her show. And actually, I feel like the series in Libra placement was also activated in the regard that she just allowed for her guests. You know, she had questions, but she allowed for her guests to really fairly and just really kind of voice their opinions openly to the best of their ability um, to the audience and not have it be censored, not have it be corralled in one way or another. And I mean, back in the 80s, this was huge, knowing how censorship and knowing how um, there was a lot of anti-gay, anti-lesbian, anti-GLBT sort of sentiment that was shared at that time, um, especially with the AIDS um epidemic um, is what I would like, I'd like to say it's, it was an epidemic, but especially with AIDS coming into the scene and the scapegoats that were utilized at that time. Um, but I think with Oprah, really, she just allowed like for guests just to, you know, uncensored, just kind of share their viewpoints and really not have it be, you know, censored or corralled in one way or another. 
I find that that's also true to this day with Oprah, um, especially like with the with OWN or the Oprah Winfrey Network. It's just allowing um, individuals, especially those of the black community and especially successful black business owners, um, especially Love and Marriage Huntsville or Love and Marriage D.C., but also just with all of the programs that are aired, just to have somebody be uncensored and just share their viewpoints very fairly. I think that the fairness in there comes from having every individual share their viewpoints um, without censor and without being corralled in one way, shape or form. I find that with Oprah, in order to have, uh, you know, others, you know, kind of share their viewpoints or to have others really kind of um, inform her of their viewpoints as well, too, in an uncensored way, she comes to a sense of balance and a sense of you know, accepting herself as well, uncensored as well, too, and accepting a sense of justice inside of herself. Well, Stargazers, I know this episode was a little bit shorter and sweeter than the other deep dives, but hopefully I do find that you found this to be informative when it comes to secure attachment style. Uh, as always, um, you can Contact me at either I'm on my Instagram handle at Sandra.Misek, that is M-I-S-E-K, at my um, email account at, you know, that is at Misek, M-I-S-E-K, dot Sandra at gmail.com. Also, for as little as $2 a month, you can become a Patreon and become a member of this show. Uh, d- definitely visit patreon.com forward slash seventh house astrology for more details. I actually added a shout out. Um, so, I mean, if you do become a patron, you get your name shouted out on the air. Who doesn't like that? I, I, I know I, I love my name shout out on the air. So definitely hop over to patreon.com and check that out, you know, forward slash astrology to definitely check that out. But above all stargazers, don't be afraid to look up at the stars. We are undergoing a new moon. Um, actually, it's like the little thumbnail of the moon is starting to show in the sky. It's really gorgeous, really pretty. Uh, Venus is actually still out in the sky right now. Um, it's actually in the western half of the sky, or she's in the western half of the sky, right next to the moon as well. I saw that like a couple of nights ago where it's just really very closely to the moon and just really very, very pretty. But above all, um, you know, again, it kind of gives us a nice escape and also gives us the origins of astrology as we know it with the 12 constellations forming the 12 zodiacal signs that we come to know and love to this day. But above all, stargazers, between now and next week, I do hope that I find you well. And above all, stargazers, between now and then, be well. And until then, I will see you then.